Pray with me, please. Jesus, we simply echo those words we just sang to you. Before all of this was, you are. And we worship you. We worship you for who you are, what you're doing, and who we get to be in you. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that we get to simply sing from our hearts to tell you how much we love you and we're grateful for who you are. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Venture, why don't you go ahead and have a seat. It's so good to see you, to get to be in the space together with you, to get to worship together. I know, as Daniel mentioned just a bit ago, this is that season of year that's a little bit busy. Some of us are doing the back-to-school thing. I know some of us, the kids aren't quite back to school. There are some last-minute vacations that I bet are happening right now. My family and I got to do a bit of a vacation ourselves just a couple of weeks ago. We wanted to kind of go on the cheap, if you know what I mean. So we were camping, we were hiking, we were doing that kind of a vacation strategy. Didn't have all the kids. We had four-sevenths of the Killebrew clan with us. The older kids, they think they have a life now. They think that they can kind of go off and do their own thing. It's good. They do. And they, they, they were working and doing internships and things like that. So four-sevenths of us packed up the truck and headed north. Um, I get a lot of flack, my staff and my family joke about my hand map of the Holy Land. I got to redeem it on this trip because we got to actually do the hand map of Michigan. We drove up through Michigan, next to Lake Michigan on the way home. We went on the other side of Lake Michigan around to the UP. So on the scale, the kids kept asking, hey, where are we right now? Well, we're right here. We're Traverse City. But before that, we were way up here, the UP of Michigan. We were on the North Shore, Lake Superior. Oh my goodness, it was gorgeous. I don't think I'd spent much time up there before that. It was beautiful. I know some of us are doing last-minute vacations right now. Maybe some of you are exploring some beauty right now yourselves. We took the camera along. I took my phone along. I took way too many pictures, hundreds of photos during that time together. We were mostly hiking and exploring, but one day we went out to see, it's called the uh, Scenic Rocks National Lakeshore. Pictured rocks, pictured rocks. It's scenic, but it's pictured rocks. They're gorgeous. Oh, it's so beautiful. We took some photos. Here's, here's the first picture. I took the picture of the most beautiful thing I could find. I mean, Dawn was taking a picture of the rocks. There's some rocks over there, but I got a picture of her taking a picture of the picture. It's all kind of meta there, right? There's layers to that photograph. So I wanted to see what the picture, what, what it was all about. So here's a picture of actually what she was taking a photo of. And, and those are pretty as well. Not as pretty as her, but those are pretty. Those are fun to look at. We had spent the whole week kind of hiking along the north shore here, this north backcountry trail, and hadn't seen what we were hiking next to so much. But So this was kind of nice to take a step back and look at that. We took some pictures on that same cruise together out this kind of sunset Tour. I was feeling all proud of America right there, so I took that picture uh, with the flag waving in the background. Now, you probably, your eyes are drawn probably not to the flag, but you're drawn to this chest rig that I put on a bit ago. And go ahead and hit the next slide. 
Dawn thought, hey, we've got nine hours to drive together. So she ordered a whole bunch of tattoos, temporary tattoos on the front end. And she said, hey, we're going to spend nine hours driving. Can I tattoo your body up? And I said, uh, no. It was a nine-hour drive, and you see how that worked. Of course, yeah, let's have some fun. Can I just say this? People treat you differently when you have a neck tattoo. These are things that this pastor didn't know. It took me a while to figure this out. I'm this many years old when I learned this. It was kind of fun. We're up there. Nobody knew who I was and what I do for a living. I'm walking around. What's with this? Okay, we get the neck tattoo now, but what was this all about? Well, I heard we were going up, and it's called Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. I'm all into things of beauty, and so I learned years ago, I'm into outdoor stuff, hiking and hunting and camping and and fishing and things like that, and I love to take binoculars with me hunting, and so I learned the power of a chest rig, and I heard we're going up there. I mean, you can load up your backpack with stuff, but there's all kinds of real estate here on the front side of your body as well, and so I've learned this is kind of a thing that I really like, and I heard we're going up there, oh, I'm taking my binoculars. The kids said, oh, no, Dad, don't. You're going to embarrass us. Don's like, you're going to embarrass us. I said, well, put me in, Coach, Dad of the Year. Here I am. I'm ready to play. And we were often at the uh, trailhead or somewhere where there's something pretty off in the background in the distance, and I'm there with my binoculars. Some of you thought you could come to church and sleep today. I, I see you. I see you. And I plan to pull these out a few times during the message, so I see you. Binoculars. Binoculars beg a question. You've probably used binoculars before. This is the question that binoculars are asking. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. Where are we going? There's something about binoculars. You pull them out. I can look. I can scan the horizon. And I can say that is a vision of our preferred future. That right there, that's where we want to go. Look. Look over there. Do you see where we're going? You over here on this side. Go ahead and look through my binoculars. Do you see this vision of a preferred future? That's, I can see it. Can you see it? Binoculars. I'm walking around all week with this rig, and uh, I was thinking about this message, and I thought about binoculars, and I thought that's a great metaphor for vision, what we're talking about today. And then I got to playing around a little bit. I also like to carry, some of you who are golfers, you know what this is. Some of you maybe enjoy hunting, and you know what you use this for as well. This is a laser rangefinder. The things you come to church and learn. So... Um, You probably wonder, how far is it from here to the back wall? Any guesses? I just ranged it. From here to the back wall. It's 39 yards. I'm glad you asked. 39 yards. If I I go this direction over here, oh, it's 43 yards to the corner over there back of the building. You can do the math on feet if you'd like. A range finder is asking the question, here we go. What's our proximity from there? If binoculars are, well, where are we going? I see that vision of the preferred future. The the laser rangefinder says, well, that's our proximity from here to there. That's how we need to move, what I say, 39 yards to move from here to there. It's about proximity, moving closer. We're going to launch today a series. Let me show you a picture real quick of what these look like. You can take a picture of 
through these. I discovered with my iPhone years ago, I was hunting with my cousin, and I had been teasing him the night before about, uh, hey, I'm going to shoot one of your black cows tomorrow. Your black deer, rather, is what I said. And I sent him this picture that morning and uh, said, hey, how far do you think it is from me? He didn't find that very funny. This is what it really should look like. This is my backyard. I took this this past week. You can see it shows the yardage from here to there. Where I was standing to there is 30 yards. We launched this series today. It's called Becoming Us. Becoming Us, we're going to spend four weeks talking about what, what is this idea of becoming us. Week one today, we're all about vision. This is asking the question, where are we going? Then uh, next week, we're going to talk about the value of community. This is who we are. We're leaning into this value of who we are as a body of faith. The following week, we're going to be talking about our future. This is who we're becoming. I hope you don't miss any of these weeks. The following week, the last week of the series is our mission, what we're doing. You might see a reprise of the chest rig that week. What are we doing? What is our mission? Today we're all about vision. Perhaps you recall this message from President Abraham Lincoln when he said, a house divided on itself. A house divided against itself, well, it cannot stand. Perhaps you know the context of where that was spoken. Slavery, a civil war looming, common vision. We have to be on the same page at the same time. We all have to look to the horizon and say, that's where we're going. Let's go there together. Maybe you've heard of mission drift or vision drift. Companies talk about this sometimes. It's like you pick the spot on the horizon and say, that's the vision of where we're going. Yeah, I see where we're all going. Now let's plot the course. Let's go there together. And if you get off just like three degrees or even two degrees, or even just one degree. By the time you get there miles away, you could be a mile off of the target, the vision of where you're going. So it's so important that we kind of roll up our sleeves, and every once in a while we talk about vision, specifically the vision of our church. The Bible underlines this value. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says this, where there's no vision, where there's no vision, the people perish. So it's important to pull out the binoculars and ask, where are we going? And let's work on that together. What's our proximity to there? Okay, what do you see? When I put this up on the screen, three glasses. This is the age-old question, right? I mean, focus on the middle glass, right? Because we talk about this often, are you an optimist, are you a pessimist? Are we half empty or half full? Which way do you see that? Might I ask the question, why are we focusing on that glass? I mean, clearly somebody has drunk out of this one, right? It's half empty or half full. And this one, it's totally empty. Let's start with the full glass, shall we? I mean, let's take a nice, refreshing drink of cool water. There's a full glass of water. Somebody pointed out to me in the lobby after the service that sometimes when we look at this, we ought to see, well, somebody needs us to help fill their glass back up. And that's a great perspective as well. But hear, hear me, hear me clearly. Through the lens of vision of the church, I'm an eternal optimist. I believe the glass is not just half full, but I, I, I believe the glass is full. I believe the glass is full. I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. 
Jesus is the cure to whatever ails us. Jesus is the solution to whatever ails them, those who aren't even yet a part of his church. Jesus is the hope of the world, and I believe that he uses the church as his vehicle to redeem the world. I'm, I'm a full glass guy. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up the Bible to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to start in verse 13, Matthew 16, 13. We talk about this. Some of you have been around for a while, and you're like, man, he's going to preach out of that text again. Yep. I love this passage of Scripture. I think it's a foundational text to who we are. It gets to our identity because I believe in this passage of Scripture, Jesus casts vision. And we need to kind of pull this out every once in a while. How are we doing in this area? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, let's pause there just for a second. My kids were teasing me about my hand map. My staff teases me about this as well. Apparently, I have you pull out a hand map of the Holy Land occasionally. I'm going to ask you to do that right now. Go ahead and pull it out of your pocket. Pull out your hand map of the Holy Land. Let's orient. Where in the world is Caesarea Philippi, and why should we lean in when we see that? Okay. So, here's your map of the Holy Land. I'm going to put the Jordan River running north to south right there between your index finger and your ring finger. That's where I'm going to put it. you got the Mediterranean Sea over here, Transjordan Plateau over here. I'm going to put Jerusalem right about where your lifeline is in the middle of your palm. Jordan River. Caesarea Philippi, it's way up here in the north. This is, a, this is significant because the water that feeds the Sea of Galilee and then flows south through the space where Jesus would have been baptized uh, down into the Dead Sea, that water is coming from the base of Mount Hermon. Kind of trickles out of the ground, snow melt. Water feeds life, the water of life for the rest of the Holy Land from that location. And the ancients believed that there was magic that took place there. They actually believed that um, there was this opening, this hole in the ground, and they believed that this was the entrance to the underworld. They called it the Gates of Hades. There was false worship happening in that space. People venerating and worshiping things that were not of God. And it's in this location Jesus chooses to cast some vision. Let's keep reading. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say I am? He's speaking of himself. And they all kind of lean in just a little bit. They reply, well, some say, some say John the Baptist. Jesus, you remember that day where you came to be baptized in the Jordan River, south probably of the Sea of Galilee. And you walked down into the water and John the Baptist was there. He was baptizing other people and the heavens parted and a dove descended from heaven. And God spoke through that moment and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, some people, some people say that you're John the Baptist. He's dead now. People say maybe you're continuing in his line of ministry. Others say, hey, listen, you're Elijah. You're this truth-telling prophet of old, and you're speaking truth in love to everyone you meet. Some people say that you're Elijah. Other people, 
Say that you're Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, stood and wept over Jerusalem. Jesus did the same thing. Some people are saying you're Jeremiah in the way he thought of the Old Testament prophecy. Some people say you're one of the other prophets. But what about you? He said, what about you? Tell me, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, I love this, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're everything. Jesus, you're my vision. Everything that I'm looking at that I want to go after, to get from here to there, you're that destination. I need you. I need more of you in my life. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. This is why, Jesus, by the way, I've spent the last, oh, three years of my life chasing you. I want to know proximity. I want to know exactly how far you are away from me. I've been, you know, choking on the dust of my rabbi for the last three years. I want to be closer to you because I want to soak it all up. You're the vision I'm going after, and I need to be near you. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the rest of these jokers. Flesh and blood did not speak this to you, but rather my Father, God in heaven, has given you truth. And I tell you that you are Peter. This literally is the word Petros, and it means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. I'm renaming you. I'm giving you a new vision. I'm giving you some uh, relational velocity here to chase after. On this rock, I'll build my church in the very gates of Hades. And I think at this point he pointed. I think he pointed over there to that hole in the ground that I just described to you a bit ago. He's saying the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This ideology of the world, this false worship that's happening. Listen, my church is going to stand as answer to the questions that the world is asking. It's standing as an answer to the questions that they don't even know how to frame the question to ask. This is why I'm a glass full guy. God uses the church. He's advancing his kingdom in and through it. And we get to be a part of that vision. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he says this curious thing. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Messiah. Why in the world would he do that? Well, because he didn't want to violate his mission. From this moment until the cross of Christ, his mission is literally to go and pick a fight and be killed, to begin the redemption process of redeeming the whole world, drawing the whole world in redemption back to him. He didn't want to mess with that plan, that mission that was at stake. So don't go and tell anybody and ruin what's getting ready to happen. There's a couple of word pictures that we see here. He talks a little bit about keys. Perhaps you caught that. He talks a little bit about binding and loosing. Well, what's going on? What's going on there? I kind of liken these to my binoculars and my rangefinder. This idea of binding and loosing, this was pretty common in the first century. This was kind of a legal term. You could bind, be bound to a contract. You could loose. You could be loosed from a contract, relieved from a contract. Jesus is saying, here's the deal. I think the keys, these are like the binoculars. It's where are we going? Well, Peter, you get this, and I'm going to reveal more of this to you. This is where you're going. This is not an earthly mission. This is an eternal mission. 
I've given you the very keys to the kingdom of heaven. You get to enter into eternity. But even better than that, Peter, through the power of preaching the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, you're going to stand up and do this on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people are plus are going to be baptized into this movement, and the church is going to explode. And even 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a church in Carmel, Indiana, that's having this same conversation. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom to unlock eternity for whoever chooses to accept. And some will be bound, some will be loosed for eternity. This is vision. Peter, go after this with your entire life, and he, in fact, does just that. Christian tradition tells us that Peter actually dies for his faith. He dies for that mission because he caught the vision that Jesus was sharing in that moment. This is a pep rally for the disciples. This is the vision that he is telling them. He's saying, hey, listen, guys, we, we will be the church. Each word I would emphasize in that, he's looking to those disciples and he's saying, we will be the church. The church is not a building. It's a group of a people, people that are sold out to the cause of Christ. We will be the church. He says, we will. So choose this day which allegiance you have. You want to be in on the keys that get bound to heaven. We will be the church. We will be the church. We're going to live this thing. This isn't just showing up one day a week, but rather this is a lifestyle of worship 24-7. We will be the church. We will be the church. We'd emphasize that word to say, hey, listen, there's going to be some false teachers come along. There's going to be some false ideology, some false thinking that's going to try to worm its way into the church of Jesus Christ. Make sure your theology is sound. Make sure that your faith is securely rooted in the identity of who I'm calling you to be will be the church. Will be the church. The assembly of the saints. The called out ones. The ones that are called to shine a spotlight of Jesus Christ on the whole world around us and draw all people closer to Jesus will be the church. Our local expression here at Venture, this is how we say that. Our vision statement is that we're calling people to venture home. Come home. You, come home. Bring your neighbor home with you. Venture home. Where we seek Jesus. We're going hard after the things of Jesus. This is our vision. This is what we're going after. We're seeking him on the horizon. We, we seek Jesus. And while we do that, we see you. We see proximity. We know how far away you are. We seek to join you there. We see you. Seek Jesus and see you. So for the rest of our time together we have today, I want to unpack that conjunction junction. Any other schoolhouse rock fans out there? The and between seek Jesus and see you. We're going to spend some time with seeking and we're going to spend some time with seeing. If you're taking notes, write this down. We will be seeking Jesus. This is the vision of Venture Christian Church. We will be Seeking Jesus. This is what we're about. The Old Testament talks about this, Jeremiah chapter 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. We like that. Not to harm you. We want that. Plans to give you hope. Yeah, we desire that in the future. Yeah, put me in, coach. Then you will call on me, and I will come, you, and you'll come and pray to me, and then I will listen to you. There's kind of a conditional thought here, isn't there? It keeps going. You will seek me, 
and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. If this is about looking for Jesus, can I simply ask the question, are we? Are you looking for Jesus? Are you seeking him with, like the text just said, with all your heart? I can't answer that question for you. You're the only one that can answer that. Let me just share with you some ways, and this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some ways in your own personal life and corporately as a body of Christ, our church, these are ways that we can be actively seeking Jesus. And these happen to be I-N-G words, just like seeking and seeing. Do you see what I did there? Four I-N-G words. Here's the first one, studying. That could be reading, but I'd take it a step deeper than just reading your Bible. Are you studying Scripture in order to be shaped by it? I love this passage in the Amplified Translation, the Amplified Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman or a workwoman tested by trial is what that means, who has no reason to be ashamed accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Are you studying? Yesterday, I, uh, I, I like to sometimes on Saturday when the weather is nice, go to the pool, the local neighborhood pool. We walk to it around the corner from our house, and I usually read through my sermon notes and kind of think through, make sure my slides are in order, that kind of thing. And I asked the kids, anybody want to go with me? We just picked up my daughter uh, from her. She'd been serving a, a summer camp all summer, and she was home for the first day. And, and uh, she wanted to go to the pool with me. And on the way there, we're walking. And I was like, hey, what, um, what do you take from this summer? Like, what's your big takeaway? What do you want to double down on? And she said, well, I want to be more in God's Word every day, devotionally. I want to be reading God's Word. And I was so proud of her. We get to the pool, and I look over, and she's reading her Bible. And later, I'm asking, what are you reading? And we're having this conversation about what she's reading and how she's highlighting and how she's writing things down. I was so proud of that moment. Are you studying? Are you following that passage, 2 Timothy 2, 15? A couple years ago, we did this all-church study called Core 52. It was so fun to track along with that, the whole church on the same page at the same time, studying together. Do you have a preferred way of studying God's Word? Better question, are you doing it? Well, maybe you're looking for some ideas. Have you ever heard of the Bible Project? It's a great way to redeem this piece of technology that we're all carrying around in our pockets or our purse. It's an app. You can download the app. It's called the Bible Project. It's, it's, it's aligned with the Bible that you probably already have on your smartphone. It's aligned with a podcast strategy that you maybe already have that on your smartphone. It's a great way each day to follow a reading plan, a studying plan, to get you deeper into God's Word. It's called the Bible Project. Check it out. I hope you'll lean in this fall. September 11th, we're going to kick off a seven-week series. It's called One Life. And as a part of that strategy, we're going to call the whole church for 30 days to all be on the same page at the same time in a devotional strategy for 30 days. Make plans right now to join us in that because study is a great way to seek Jesus. I open up my Bible and I study to be a workman approved. Jesus is the vision that I'm going after on the horizon. He is my preferred future. I'm studying to get toward that. Our problem is not a lack of resources. Our problem is a lack of desire or motivation. Are you looking for Jesus? Are you actively seeking Jesus by studying Scripture? Here's the second I-N-G word. Worshiping. 
worshiping. It's a 24-7 pursuit. It's not just what we do this hour on Sunday morning, but rather worshiping. Oh, he calls us to do that 24-7 the whole week long. Do you prepare your heart and mind to engage the creator God of the universe before you get here on Sunday morning? Do you do that? When you show up, are you ready to encounter him in worship? How about the other days during the week? What's Tuesday morning look like for you? Are you worshiping? Are you chasing after the vision of being next to Jesus? Don and I went to an incredible uh, worship experience just a few weeks ago. I had never been, I've lived here for 15 years, and I've never been to Ruoff or Deer Creek or whatever we're calling it now, that outdoor worship concert venue. And uh, we had friends that said, hey, we've got these extra tickets. Do you want to go? We said, yeah, we'd love to go. Kind of last minute we went. And it was Chicago was the band that night. Thousands of people singing along to Will You Still Love Me. It was a worship experience, right? The word worship, it literally means ascribing value or worth to someone or something. We're all worshiping someone or something putting worth on that, that was happening in that moment. Where's your allegiance to Jesus? Are you working that into the rhythm of your life? You're worshiping other things as well, but is Jesus above those things? Are you looking for Jesus? Are you actively seeking Jesus by worshiping 24-7? Here's another I-N-G word. Serving. Roll up in your sleeves and do something for somebody else. Inside the walls of the church, outside the walls of the church, I believe we get connected with Jesus. We grow in our faith when we serve in Jesus' name. Are you looking for Jesus? Are you actively seeking Jesus by serving in his name? Following. Peter is literally choking on the dust of his rabbi. Proximity. He's trying to get close. How far are you away from me, Jesus? You're 29 yards. I need to get a little bit closer. Are you looking for Jesus? Are you actively seeking Jesus by actively following? I want to take just a minute and talk about the difference between seeing, seeking, and seeing. Seeking and seeing, because here's the deal, you, you see what you're looking for. It's called your reticular activator. It's this space in your brain. It's the reason why when you buy a brand new car, you hadn't seen that car before, but now everywhere you look on the horizon, you see that same car. This is because you see what you're looking for. It's called your reticular activator. Binoculars. If this is seeking Jesus, this is looking to see where he's at. Where is Jesus, and I'm going to move toward him? The rangefinder, if that represents seeing others, it's, well, I see that you're 15 yards away. I see where you're at, and I'm not going to say you come to me, but seeing others means I'm going to move to you. Where are you at right now? We will be, if you're taking notes, write this down, the other side of that conjunction, junction. We will be seeing others. There's this story that happens in the New Testament. I love this passage. Peter, from that moment of his calling where Jesus casts vision, that moment after that, the the, the day of Pentecost happens and he preaches to thousands and over 3,000 respond and are baptized into Christ that day. The gospel message keeps going forward and they start crossing socio-political, ethnic boundaries and the gospel 
starts invading these other spaces, not just Jewish culture, but other cultures as well. And they're, they're going into places like Ephesus, and they're talking to a 38-year-old dude and saying, hey, it's a group called the Judaizers. They're saying, hey, yeah, you, let me tell you about Jesus. And, oh, but before you meet Jesus, have you ever heard of a little thing called circumcision? We need you to become a Jew first. And these 38-year-old dudes are saying, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. And this is coming back to the, the church in Jerusalem, and they're kind of fighting it out. Hey, do you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian? Peter is kind of on the line. He's on the side that's saying, well, yeah, you need to become a Jew first. He's a Jew after all. Become like me. I see where you're at, but you move toward me, not me move toward you. And people like Paul are fighting back and saying, uh-uh. The gospel trumps all of this. Jesus speaks up. From heaven, Peter gets a vision. Check this out. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. How dare you? You made yourself ceremonially unclean simply by being around them. You can't even walk into the temple right now because you did this. Peter, I know, is conflicted. Starting from the beginning, then he tells them the whole story of what happens to him when he's in Joppa. He has this vision from heaven. He, was, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. I saw a vision. God spoke to me. There's this, like, sheet that's lowered from heaven. Four-cornered sheet, and it's filled with animals cloven hoof animals. The kind of animals that are prohibited in the Old Testament, specifically the book of Leviticus, you're not supposed to eat these. Peter is looking at these, and probably the very sight of them in this vision causes him to recoil. I'm not supposed to be anywhere near a pig. And then the next verse, this voice from heaven says this, get up, Peter, kill and eat. By the way, those words are red in my Bible. I meant to put them in red on this, but it just felt a little bit too on the nose. It looked too bloody, so we changed them back to white. I was, um, several years ago, helping a guy unload. We were doing a live nativity at the church I was serving at the time, and we were unloading camels and donkeys and all of these animals, and this guy happened to own a hunting preserve in southern Indiana. He's wearing a camouflage hat, and about the third camel, as we're walking it into the church building, uh, I looked at him, I said, your hat, it just simply said Acts 11 verse 7 on it. I said, is that? He said, yeah, that's what that is. So that's a little on the nose, isn't it? And then he had this whole commentary about vegetarianism being like a bad Indian word for bad hunter or something. I, he lost me in the details at that point. But anyway, the passage continues. Peter has changed. His heart is convicted because God says, hey, listen, what I have made clean, don't you treat it as unclean. All people have access you are holding keys as you preach the gospel. You don't hold it behind your back when you're talking to some. Those keys, it's an invitation for all people to come and join me in my heaven. The passage, this is how they respond. If God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was I to think? This is Peter talking to this group of believers back in Jerusalem. I can't stand in God's way. When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God 
saying, so then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Yeah. This is a God-given vision. We will be seeing others where they are. The whole rest of the New Testament. The whole rest of the New Testament is about this idea of taking the gospel into places maybe that you're not comfortable being in and bringing people closer to Jesus. Seeing others. Where are you at? How many yards away are you? Maybe you're somebody who's sitting there and today you're excited because you, you got a promotion at work this past week. You come to worship excited today. Maybe you are a teacher and you're excited or maybe you're anxious or maybe you're overwhelmed by the start of the school year. Maybe you're a mom who just put her kindergartner on the school bus for the first time and you're feeling all of those feels. Maybe you're a mom who just put her senior in high school uh, off on the bus or they got the keys to drive the car for their last first day of school. Where are you at? What's the proximity from here to there? This past week, I was feeling a bit overwhelmed by all the folks that I was hearing about in Kentucky. I've been meeting some people down in Kentucky because I get to do an outdoor adventure down there this fall. And I've met a couple of people down there, and I kept hearing these stories about the flooding that was going on, and I just kept thinking, oh, and maybe this is a God-ordained thing. Maybe God was saying, hey, listen, I want you to call so-and-so and check in on them. And I could, one of them I couldn't get a hold of for a while. I thought, have they really been hurt by this flood? And finally, I did get through to them, and I got through to another person that I met down there, and I'm kind of making connections with some humanitarian and gospel-centric help organizations that are doing good work down there. And are you seeing others where they're at? That God nudge when you hear that story on the news, or that God nudge when you hear in your neighborhood that so-and-so is going through this, or you hear at work, hey, did you hear what so-and-so is going through? Do you see others where they're at. The Bible is filled with other I-N-G words. Three of these I'm going to share with you. This is not exhaustive, but this is a good place to start. Three of these start with us. The other two are about them, those outside the walls of the church. Here's one I-N-G word, unifying. These are these one another's of Scripture. By the way, the number one enemy of the church is disunity. Jesus could have spent a lot of time talking about theology or about who we do and don't baptize, but he was very concerned with unity. He prayed against disunity. John chapter 17, the night he's betrayed before he goes to the cross, he spent a lot of time praying that we would be unified. Maybe pick out one of these passages, these one another's from Scripture. As we seek to see others where they're at, pick out one and do something about it this week. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble. Be of the same mind. Accept one another. Don't challenge or envy one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tenderhearted. Where are you at on that spectrum today? Are you unifying? Here's another ING word. Loving. How are you doing on the loving spectrum to be able to see others exactly where they're at? To see, hey, exactly how far are they from me right now? And can I close the gap? Can I close the distance to them? This is another one-third of those one another passages in Scripture instruct us to be loving. Love one another. Serve one another through love. Tolerate one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. How are you doing in that regard? Maybe double down on your loving ability this week. Caring. This is a big one as well. About 15% of the one another's in Scripture are devoted to this idea of caring. 
in humility, wash one another's feet, which is a fancy way of saying really serve sacrificially. Give preference to one another in honor. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Here's an ing word. Including. You guys, I'm so excited about this fall. We're going to be starting a new series, 9-11. I mentioned that just a bit ago. It's called One Life. The idea that you have one life to invest, who's the one life that you're going to invest in. It's trying to raise the evangelism temperature of our church. I'm so excited about it. Don't miss it. Why? Because we want to be including There are folks, this binding and loosing strategy that don't know Jesus yet. And you and I, we've got the keys to the kingdom. God calls us to invest in them, including. Last ING word, canceling. Actually, that one doesn't fit. It's not canceling. That's not what God is calling us toward because here's the deal. Cancel culture is not Christian culture. I think sometimes we get that backwards. We think it is from a distance. We're trying to cancel people, call them out and say, everything that you stand for, I stand against. But hear me, hear me, hear me. A canceled individual is not a seen individual. If we want to see people where they are, and move in proximity toward them. We can't do that by from a distance canceling them and just saying, why, I I can't even be with everything that you stand for. Rather, we have to move and seek to empathize and to understand and meet people exactly where they're at. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. That glass half full analogy. Can I come back to that? I think the glass is full. This is an exciting time to be a Jesus follower. The world is asking questions of significance. The world is asking questions of value. The world needs answers that you and I hold the keys for Jesus to answer for them for them. Where are we going? Well, I've seen the preferred future. I've seen the promised land. I've read the end of the book. Jesus comes back, and he takes his people home. The vision is an eternity spent together with God, and I deeply desire that for each one of us in community to experience that together. And I deeply desire that those who are outside the walls of this building today who do not yet know Jesus, that we double down on our energies to bring them with us, our local expression of our vision here is God's vision for our church, that we seek Jesus and we see you and we want more and more of the same. Would you stand up with me? Here's how we're going to end today. That pep rally that Jesus had with his disciples. Would you just think about the church and what it's meant to you? Your faith that has grown in God's church. Maybe your faith that was planted in God's church. And maybe, maybe at this point, call into mind people who are not here yet. You have the keys to the kingdom. And would you simply say these words with me? We're going to say them out loud by way of commitment. 
Let's go ahead and put up on the screen the first one. We're going to emphasize each word. We will be the church. We, right? We. All of us. We don't go to church. We are the church. So, so if you mean that, if you believe that, say that with me. We will be the church. The second word is will. It means that. Willful decision. You choose this day who you serve, God, or do you worship others? If you mean it, say it out loud. We will be the church. Be. Be the church. Living 24-7, this lifestyle of God following. Because others are seeing Jesus through us and in us, and they desperately need to see him. If you believe that, by way of commitment, say that out loud with me. We will be the church. The Oh, there are other great churches in our community we seek to partner well with them. I don't mean that as a slap against them or, no, no, no. We have to closely guard our theology. There are churches around the globe that have lost their vision, lost their mission. There's some drift there. They've monkeyed around with who Jesus is and, no. We're going to hold tight to our theology. Who Jesus is. And that's who we worship. We learn that by studying our scriptures. If you believe that, say that out loud with me. We will be the church. And the last word, the assembly of the saints, the called out once. It's who he wants us to be. If you believe it, say it with me. We will be the church. One of the ways we see others today This is a busy time of year as people are heading back to school. You heard Daniel say that a bit ago. I want to pray for school administrators and teachers, moms and dads that are sending their kids off to school, students that are going off to school themselves. Would you think of somebody that I just described that you know, and in an attempt to see them where they are, would you simply join me in prayer for them right now? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for this season, this time of the year as kiddos are heading back to school, and college students are heading to college. And Father, I pray for those who are busy getting their classrooms in order and their uh, systems in place. I pray for administrators. I pray for, pray for teachers, some of who are a part of our church. I pray that you use them in their ministry, marketplace ministry. I pray that you use them this year. Father, for moms and dads that are sending their, their kids I pray for their hearts right now. For students that are leaning into this and downshifting into this new rhythm of life, and God, I pray for them as they head back to school. God, for all of us, as we leave this space and we go out to serve you, we seek Jesus and we want to see others. Would you help, and help quicken us toward that end? And it's in your name and Jesus' name we pray. Amen.